Hello, and welcome to SED, SOS Care's Autism and Intellectual Disability Dialogues, a podcast series that delves into the diverse and ever-evolving world of autism and intellectual disabilities. I'm your host, Paula Katar, and together we'll embark on a journey of exploration, education, and empowerment. Autism, a neurodevelopmental disorder that affects millions of individuals worldwide, is a topic that demands our attention, understanding, and compassion. In starting this podcast, we're aiming to shed light on the experiences, challenges, and triumphs of those living with autism, as well as the remarkable people that advocate for them. Over the course of this series, we hope to bring you enlightening conversations with a range of voices, including families supporting a loved one with an intellectual disability, officials and advocates helping to shape policies, authorities and experts in the field, as well as individuals on the autism spectrum themselves. By delving into these diverse perspectives, we hope to foster a deeper understanding of autism, dismantling stereotypes and replacing them with the tapestry of human stories. Our goal is to create a space where listeners can gain insights into the lived experiences of individuals on the autism spectrum, appreciate the tireless efforts of families, and recognize the vital role that support systems play in shaping a more inclusive society. Through these heartfelt conversations, we'll explore the triumphs and challenges faced by families navigating daily life, the legislative initiatives that impact the community, and the innovative programs and services offered by organizations in our neighborhood, and perhaps yours as well. We'll uncover stories of resilience, creativity, and achievements that defy expectations, celebrating the unique strengths and contributions of our greater understanding overall. By shedding light on the realities of autism and intellectual disabilities, as well as highlighting the work being done to promote inclusion and acceptance, we hope to inspire change, spark conversation, and foster a greater sense of empathy and support for these individuals and families. So, join us as we embark on this discussion, exploring this multifaceted community. Together, we'll deepen our understanding, challenge our preconceptions, and work towards a society that values neurodiversity. Welcome to SED. Hello again, welcome back to SED, SOS Cares Autism and Intellectual Disability Dialogues. My name is Paula Guitar, and today we're here with episode four with myself, Kathy Grace, and Greg Eichner talking about his brother Richard. We hope you enjoy. Uh, we're here today with Greg Eichner. Uh, what part of the country are you in, Greg? I'm in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Gotcha. I'm a New Englander myself. Yep, my family's based around New Haven. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. So we are talking to folks uh, in this particular series, uh, siblings of people with disabilities, intellectual disabilities specifically, uh, and just uh, finding out about how it was growing up with somebody um, with a disability and and those kind of things. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your sibling? Sure. So um, I'm five years younger, uh, older than my brother, Richard. Uh, he was diagnosed with PDD, so pervasive developmental disorder, when um, pretty early childhood, and um, it was a, it was scary at first because he seemed to regress. He seemed to lose language and to have fewer things that he was able to say. Um, but my mom uh, and dad really mobilized and built a whole team of very capable and talented therapists uh, who helped uh, Richard really regain ground and learn a lot. Um, in terms of what it was like growing up, I guess I would say it, it was challenging. Um, 
I guess, thinking about the difficulties that other people face in their lives comparatively, it's it's not like growing up and grinding poverty or in a war zone or anything like right. that. It wasn't yeah. that difficult, but there were um, a lot of difficulties. Um, for one thing, I think even today, uh, you both, or, or you know Richard Cathy. Uh, I do. I right? do too. And he he presents very well. Um, you know, he he's kind of a a, a good looking, well dressed young man. Um, and so I think for a lot of people, especially when Richard was younger, it didn't really compute that he did have special needs. Uh-huh. And so when he missed a social cue, uh, or when he said something that was kind of out there, or had a, a compulsive episode, they didn't really know how to react. And sure. um, I'm, I'm older than him, but not that much older. I'm so amazed I was how some, much sometimes... you do look alike, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but it, it was hard because I, I'd be in a position where as a child myself or as a young teenager, I would have to try to explain to an irate person, well, he has autism. He's not doing this out of malice. It's just right. he doesn't understand the situation or something like that. Sure. Well, and also as a term and also as a collection of different uh, diagnoses, PDD, autism spectrum disorder, it's much better known nowadays, whereas we rewind as little as 5, 10, 15, 20 years. It's a different story altogether. Absolutely. Completely different. Um, There was much lower visibility back then. In fact, I remember when I was in middle school, I did a science fair project on autism. And one of the um, the statistics that stood out to me, I'm sure it's not true, but what they had then was that only 15 out of every 10,000 children has autism. Uh, and to me, that sounded like, you know, such awful luck. How could this happen to my brother? Um, but I think the spectrum has been broadened since then, uh, where you know, uh, to be much more inclusive. So um, it's become much more well-known as a result. Absolutely. Latest CDT, CDC, I'm going to get that one out. C, D, C, statistics say one in 36 uh, people will be diagnosed with autism. And yes, it is more prevalent in boys than girls, um, but one in 36 is a lot. And you're right, the spectrum varies so very much that uh, it is much more mainstream. And I think people understand it significantly better than they did 10 or 20 years ago. So those are good things, I think. Um, well, you said that because we also did uh, a viewing of a movie. I'm not sure if you heard about it called In a Different Key. And it's the story of the first gentleman ever diagnosed with autism. And he is presently... 92 years old, living in rural Mississippi. And the documentary was done by a lady uh, that was originally in ABC News, but has a son, a grown son with autism that lives out in Arizona, at First Place, Arizona. And she just, because she's a documentary film person, she just sort of delved into that particular subject and wanted to know where autism and where the diagnosis and everything got its start. So as a result, she uh, produced a movie called In a Different Key. And it is, if you haven't seen it, it is a wonderful story. And she really walked away from that movie with the understanding that if the little town in Mississippi embraces my son like they did Donald, which is the first gentleman ever diagnosed with autism, I have nothing to worry about when I'm not here anymore because he's quite the character in that little town. (laughs) His name is Donald (laughs) Triplett. It's pretty cool. 
So I would encourage you to see I'll the movie. Check that out. It's really, it's really heartwarming, and it just brings a lot of issues we've talked about before uh, to the surface because people didn't understand way back then what it was. Um, and uh, his family brought him to a mental institution, and a weekend his mother said, "That's not the right place for him." Brought him back home, and mm -hmm. he became a very high-functioning uh, member of that little town, and is still today. So it's a really great story. Well, is there any particular memory uh, you might want to share with us about growing up uh, with a sibling with a disability? Uh, we've had a couple of really cute, mostly school-centered stories. One was a story about um, a young boy that was a ring bearer in a wedding and he never wore shoes. And the bride said, I don't care if he wears shoes. So he was a barefoot ring bearer. It was just... <laughs> A very heartwarming story, um, but it just pointed out why her particular brother just was not somebody who wanted to wear shoes. So uh, that's just an example. If there's any stories that come to mind you want to share with us, I think those also help people understand um, some of the idiosyncrasies or some of the things that are different, and it's just a matter of how somebody's brain works differently than somebody else's. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's sort of hard to know where to begin because... Um, I think the way Richard perceives things is so different from most people. Sure. Um, and I, th for one example, I think his perception of of time itself is different. Um, and I can't prove it exactly, but there are things sometimes where, um, if you ask him about what he did that day, or even something really dramatic i remember when my uh my cousin died and the family had to go to the wake and the funeral and all that and my mother was talking to richard about it richard couldn't name the cousin who had died it because it just hadn't registered so there's sometimes that very um like shocking disconnect uh and yet at the same time there are things that happened 20 or 30 years ago that he just remembers so clearly and that oh, he wow. expects me to remember <laughs> so clearly. Gotcha. Um, and so I think it's a little bit like if you've ever read Slaughterhouse-Five. Sure. Where Billy Pilgrim comes unstuck in time. Mm -hmm. I think to an extent, I don't think it's exactly that way for Richard, but I think his uh, flow, his continuity of time is very different. And I think his, his perception of um, love and of uh, consciousness is very different as well. So I think he does. He, I think he loves me and my other brother and my parents very much. I think he's a great person and a, a great friend. I I don't think he has the same theory of mind that okay. most people have. All right. And at first, when you know, growing up, I totally believed that he did have theory of mind. I thought, you know, sure. he he steals a cookie. He checks to make sure no one's around. That suggests that he knows that if someone sees him taking the cookie, he will get in trouble. So sure. he has to take uh, evasive stealth measures, right? <laughs> but since since then, um, I I I've come to the conclusion for a lot of different reasons that he he doesn't totally grasp that my mind is separate from his mind. Sure, so he might talk to me about something he talked to mom and dad about in Myrtle Beach. Uh, and, and think that I was there. Or if someone comes to the door and he answers the door, he it won't compute that I don't know that he knows who was at the door. Sure. Okay. If he gotcha. possesses the information, you should buy rights as well. Uh-huh. Right. Gotcha. Right. So for him, I don't know if this is 
just too weird a way of explaining it, but it's almost like a pantheistic uh, thing. Like there's one universe, there's one consciousness, and he's linked right. into that. He doesn't huh. understand that other people are, are not. But that's um, a great way of explaining it. I've talked to other folks in this particular series we've done because I came to SOS two years ago. Did not know anyone with autism, but one person, it was my sister's nephew. And my mom happened to run a daycare, uh, and he came to her daycare at a young age, and his mom was, his mom and dad both worked in telecommunications, and my mom started noticing it three or four years old, something wasn't quite right, and sure enough, they had him tested. Well, he just graduated from high school last year, and he is just a wonderful guy. He's a middle child um, of this family, and but he is the only child I knew with autism, knew well. So I've come to this job not knowing anything <laughs> about our learners and our kids and our adults, but it has been so heartwarming to watch them um, thrive in whatever environment they're put in. And Richard specifically uh, got his first job, as you know, um, at Publix Bag and Groceries, and it seems to be going very well. Um, so we're happy that, you know, we have these programs. You really haven't worked with autistic people before your current position? I had not. No, nope. that's was, incredible. I was in the golf and, and tourism business for 29 years until COVID killed my job. But um, I have a heart for it. In high school, I remember we used to take kids with special needs to the football games in high school. And I thought maybe at one point I might go into that career field. But then I thought I was going to be a lawyer and... Then I wound up in the tourism business. <laughs> we all take different paths. But it is, so I'm learning, and Paul and I were actually having several discussions as we organized the podcast and start to think about things because I'm a New Englander, grew up in Vermont, uh, but I've been here for 30 years. So South Carolina is definitely my home. And I did not understand things like waivers and waiting lists and those kind of things that families have to educate themselves on and maneuver when you move from state to state because every state is different. So we're going to try and uh, dedicate some topics to that specifically as we move forward because uh, in South Carolina, the waiting list to receive any kind of um, waiver for different services is seven to 10 years, which to me is preposterous. Right. <laughs> that's, so. that's amazing that you so easily were able to um, acclimate to the field because I feel like Richard has hit milestones in your program that he's been after for so long uh, and we're so grateful to you. Yeah. Well, it's because it's I think we're different. We're not a government agency. We started out, I mean, our CEO has two grown sons with autism on, I would say, very different ends of the spectrum. Um, so to see her and to watch her and her boys uh, and her family, and then so many of the folks who work here just also happen to have a tie. So their son or daughter is in our program, or their adults are going to live at Oak Tree Farm. Um, so it really, SOS is really more like a family-run business, and when you get immersed into that family, you get to know the players pretty quickly. So that's been a, a real joy. So. Well, covering some of the things that, you know, in discussing Richard and growing up with him, what are some of the hopes that you might have with him over the next three to five years? You know, we know that he's been so successful in our programs. Do you ever talk to your family about where you may see him down the road a little further? Um, we, we think in the very long run, I don't know about 
three years, uh, but that we he would want to be in an assisted living place, but one that's located in such a way that I'd be able to visit him and my parents uh, could see him and that would be a comfortable environment, right? Like uh, you mentioned the uh, documentary where they, they tried to place him in the the mental hospital and the condition of those types of institutions has improved since then. However, um, sometimes it can feel, at least from what I've read and what we've we've seen in researching this, like sometimes people can get warehoused. They mm-hmm. can end up in a setting that's not uh, comfortable or productive or a place where they can thrive. And so we'd love to have uh, him embedded in that. We'd love him to develop a little bit more of a social circle. Um, I've, I've never been one to have loads of friends and house parties, but a small circle of few people outside of the family that you can confide in, spend time with and share interests with, that would be really good for Richard. And if he can continue to build on what what you've helped him achieve with um, this job placement, uh, we'd really like to see that. Awesome. And he also is very passionate about creativity now. He, um, he invents his own superheroes and uh, kind of archives them in all these binders. That's and awesome. so if we... If, he can keep that kind of um, passion going. We'd l- like to see him do that as well. Well, I'll have to make sure to work behind the scenes to connect him with a couple of people. I know quite literally one or two other folks in his classes that have that same kind of hobby. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. Yeah. Thank and you for that. Yeah. We, as you know, we've got Oak Tree Farm under construction, which is a, a huge undertaking for SOS Care. And again, worked here for two years and it was one little house on 10 acres of dirt, and now it's becoming three apartment complexes very quickly, and people are going to start moving in there this late fall, probably, or November. Um, But as a result, First Place Arizona, we were in discussions with them about other things, and they're helping us with a housing study in Charleston. So we've got a Charleston project probably headed down the road in a few years, and as of last week, we got a phone call in Columbia. So it is entirely likely that SOS will be involved in three different housing communities for folks with disabilities all around the state of South Carolina, which will be massive and incredible. Uh, And to see that growth again in just the two short years I've been here has been really remarkable. So you never know. (laughs) It's a tremendous relief. I mean, um, anything that improves lives for that population, it's hard to even put into words. I'm, I'm an English teacher, so I think a lot about words and putting sure. things into words. But uh, for example, there's this um, theater in my town called Prospector, mm-hmm. where um, there's a lot of emphasis on helping special needs people um, work and gain job experience. And they, they're in the trailers and they distribute the popcorn and they do the seating and they're the ushers and they give often introductory talks before the movies. And it's just such a restorative sensation to even go into the theater it's almost like you're you're seeing this elixir uh, to the ills of the universe when you when you walk in there and so hearing that there there's in development some places that will be these oases these safe havens is really great to hear a good way to turn the day around for me so thank you (laughs) yeah good happy to do that um well thank you greg is there anything else you want to share with us or things you think people should know um, not necessarily just about Richard, but about um, your family or things you want to share with us. 
I don't know if uh, there's anything about my family in particular, but I just think that um, going into things with a mindset of compassion is something I think sometimes people nowadays feel like you have to choose strength or compassion, right? That that in some way you have to forfeit the one or the other. And that's not what the world really needs. We, we need people who are, uh, have the endurance to do the work and the the courage and compassion to look out for those who most need it. Um, and I, I feel like that's what you're doing. And I just wish more people would do it. So keep up the good work. Uh, and thank, thank you for you the invitation. Much. Well, we are happy to have you. Yeah, thank you so much. We really enjoyed Richard and, and uh, glad to see these milestones. Your mom and dad are also superheroes in our minds. They've been very helpful with a lot of projects. Your mom's on my fundraising committee, and I appreciate, appreciate her very, very much. <laughs> thank you. So, all right. Well, thanks so much. Paul's going to take it from here, and uh, there's some editing involved and so forth. So we'll let you know as things come together. But the whole process for us is very new, and um, as I said, he knows much more about it than I do. But we certainly appreciate the time. Excellent. I'm, I'm so glad for the invitation, and okay. thank you for everything you've done for Richard. Okay, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Talk to you later. Have a great day. Take bye -bye. care. Bye-bye. Thank you again for joining us at SED, SOS Cares Autism and Intellectual Disabilities Dialogues. This fourth episode, The Conversation with Greg Eichner, was produced by myself, Paula Guitar, Kathy Grace, and Justin Barrero. It was engineered and mixed by myself, Paul. We hope you enjoyed the episode and look forward to your return. Thanks.